0: Good morning, it's good to be with you and I know this is a little bit of a crazy time for our church and for pretty much everybody in the world right now. It's affecting a lot of countries, uh, what's going on, but I hope that you'll remember that God is still on the throne, God is sovereign, nothing catches Him by surprise and uh, He knew about this before the foundation of the world so don't be discouraged and don't be dismayed. We are this morning in Nehemiah chapter 12 verses 1 through 30, and let me ask you to get your Bibles. We're going to be looking predominantly at three passages, uh, Nehemiah 12, 1 through 30, uh, then um, Haggai chapter 2, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just a few verses, and I'll, I'll touch on a couple other verses, but uh, encourage you to use your Bible and look at the text uh, for yourself. Um, so in Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 26 to begin with, and bear with me, I think this is the most difficult passage that uh, that I have read, and so just read along with me and uh, we will make it through it by God's grace. Nehemiah 12, 1 now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. Sherea, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malak, Hattush, Shekiniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Ido, Genethioi, Abijah, I think it's Mijamin, Maadiah, Bilga. Shemaiah and Joarib. Judea, Shalom, Amok, Hilkiah, Judea. These were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen in the days of Joshua. Then, verse 8: The Levites were Joshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah. Madaniah, who was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, he and his brothers. Also, Bechaniah, Bunai, their brothers, stood opposite in their service divisions. Jeshua became the father of Joachim, and Joachim became the father of Elishib, and Elishib became the father of Joada, and Joada became the father of... Of Jonathan, and Jonathan became the father of Jedua. Now, in the days of Joachim, the priest and the heads of the father's household were of Shereah, Moriah, and Jeremiah; Hananiah of Ezra, Meshulam, Amariah, Jehonan, and Malachi; Jonathan of Shebaniah. Joseph of Haram, Adna of Merayeth, Melchi of Edu, Zechariah of Ganathan, Meshulam of Abijah, uh, Zikri of Minamim of Moadiah, Piltai of Belga, Shemua of Shimea, Jehonathan of Joyarib, Madani of Judea, Uzai of Sali, Kali of Amuk, Eber of Hilkiah, Hashabiah of Jeheah, and Nathanael. And then, verse 22. As for the Levites, the head of the father's household were registered in the days of Elishib, uh, Joada, Johanan, and Jadu, who were the priests in the reign of Darius, the Persian. The sons of Levi, the son or the heads of the father's household, were registered in the book of the Chronicles up to the days of Jehonan, the son of Elishib. The heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers opposite them to praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David, the man of God, division corresponding to division. Uh, Methaniah, Bekukiah, Abadiah, Meshulam, Talman, Aqab were gatekeepers, keeping watch at the storehouses of the gates. These served in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Joshua, the son of Zodadak, In the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, may God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word, even when it's difficult. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you, God, that we can call upon you. And Lord, for many, these are difficult times. Some have fear. Uh, Lord, some are sick in this world and in our country and are struggling right now. God, may people look to you. May you use difficulties to draw your elect to yourself. And all this, God, that you might be glorified. Help us as believers to remember that you are indeed sovereign. You're king over all. Nothing catches you by surprise. You are in control of everything. And God, we can trust you. May we rest in your sovereignty and in your grace during this time. God, open our eyes to your word this morning that we might understand that you, by your Spirit, would apply it to our hearts and that we would be conformed to the image of your dear Son. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The names in these first 26 verses is the list of priests, Levites, and high priests who returned with Zerubbabel from Persia to Judah in 537 BC. These are the ones in particular that's listed here that are responsible for rebuilding the temple under the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah. The temple was actually completed in 516 BC, 21 years after Zerubbabel led that first return back to the land of Judah. In verse 1, it mentions Jeshua, or also the same as Joshua, the high priest. He was actually the first high priest in Israel after they returned from Persia or from formerly Babylon. Verse 22 mentions the reign of Darius. Keep in mind that there were more than one Darius that reigned, but this is most likely the one that reigned in the 520s BC. Then in verse 24, we find the chief priests standing opposite their brothers to praise and give thanks, it says. It appears that they were taking part in what we would call responsive singing We've heard of responsive reading. We've done that. But this appears to be responsive singing as was prescribed by David. And I like that. You know, it'd be difficult to be laissez-faire about singing if you were singing face-to-face with a group of brothers that were a part of God's people, and you're facing them and singing that way. I just find that interesting. One key significance of this list is that it includes those who return from Babylon or Persia to rebuild the temple. Notice their first priority after they returned from Persia was not to rebuild their houses. It was not even to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What did they do? They returned first to rebuild the temple, the temple of God. That was their priority. Remember, the first temple was Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was a glorious temple. It was a temple in which the presence of God dwelt in a specific way. The Jews later called it the Shekinah glory, which God's glory was evident. It was where God lived among the people, just like he had in the tabernacle preceding the days of the first temple. That first temple was the place of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where it was kept, in the Holy of Holies. However, there's no scriptural or historical evidence that the Ark of the Covenant was ever placed back into the second temple. Some believe it was taken to Babylon and left there. Others believe that it was hidden from the invaders when they conquered the city in 500 or 586 B.C. And some actually believe, as a result, some would say it's somewhere under the Temple Mount today. But as far as we know, it's still missing. It never was placed back into the second temple. And as far as we know, in the same sense, God never returned to the second temple in the same sense that he did in the first, in his Shekinah glory. Now, while the Shekinah glory was never in the second temple, God's word through Haggai are telling And I found this very interesting. Haggai chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Listen to the words. This is what God tells Haggai to say Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Joazadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this glory, this, excuse me, this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So he's saying the temple that they had, that Zerubbabel had built was nothing compared to the temple that Solomon had built But verse 4, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all of you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made, you, when you came out of Egypt, My spirit is abiding in your midst, do not fear. So while the Shekinah glory was not in the second temple, God was letting Zerubbabel know that God was still there amongst them. His spirit was still in their midst. While God's glory did not dwell among the people as in former days, God says, my spirit is dwelling in your midst. I've not forsaken you. That's what God is saying here in the book of Habakkuk. This was clearly evident. It should have been evident to the people since God had returned them out of captivity back to the land of promise. God had brought Zerubbabel back and rebuilt the temple. God had led Ezra back along with the other Jews with him as well. And God had now led Nehemiah back to the promised land and the walls had been rebuilt. God had been faithful. God is always faithful to his people. Haggai goes on to describe God's glorious presence in a future day, a presence that would be greater than in Solomon's temple. While some see this as the third temple in Jerusalem, and I can't deny that, I don't think that we can deny that there's a fulfillment in the church of Jesus Christ. For the church of Jesus Christ is the temple of God. You know, we often think, well, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's certainly true. We see that in the New Testament. But we also see the church the local gathering as the place where God dwells among his people. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul, first Corinthians chapter three, verse nine. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You plural are God's building singular. And then if you move down in chapter three to verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you, plural, are the temple singular of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you, plural? Paul told the Corinthians, you collectively are the temple of God. God dwells in your midst. You Corinthian believers you believers at Cornerstone. Paul continues in verse 17. This is how important the temple of God is. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you, plural, are. You collectively are. So if anyone defiles, destroys, or corrupts, that's the meaning of the word translated defile in verse 17, God will destroy them because the temple of God is holy. It is set apart by God for God's purpose. It says which temple, singular, you, plural or collectively are. You are the temple. So yes, God dwells in every individual, and there's many texts that we can point to, but these texts are pointing to the fact that God dwells in the midst of believers. To defile the body of believers is to act against God himself. This is God's work. This is how God is acting in time and space. It's in the church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia. May we never do anything to harm the body of Christ, the temple of God. May we love one another as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. May we never tear one another down. May we never backbite or gossip or ridicule may we never use any excuse to spread gossip to spread our personal concerns in the body of Christ we are to speak words of edification the church is the temple of the holy spirit it's set apart by god it is holy Paul, uh, peter excuse me gives us more detail in 1 peter chapter 5 you plural Also, as living stones, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house, singular, for a holy priesthood. He's talking about the temple, isn't he? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, the church is not a physical building. It's a spiritual building, and we are living stones. We are stones that have been made alive by God that make up that building. Collectively, we are a spiritual house where God dwells amongst the people. While we're not perfect stones, we're living stones were stones that God has given life to and made a part of that building in which God dwells. Think about the significance of what it means to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. We are, collectively, we are the temple of God. Yes, God dwells in every individual. There's no question about that. But God dwells in our midst in a special sense for we are the temple of God. Ephesians chapter 4, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, verse 29 and 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, we are to edify and lift up and encourage one another. When we fail to do that, when we criticize, when we backbite, when we gossip, the word gossip means to whisper, to say things that you don't want somebody else to hear you say. When we do that, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. That's actually the context of that verse, verse 30, about grieving the Spirit of God. To tear down a brother or sister in Christ is to speak against the body of Christ, to speak against the temple where God dwells to speak against the bride of Christ his household and it grieves the spirit of god to do anything or to say anything against the body the temple of Christ whether it's against leadership or it's against individual members is to speak against Christ himself the temple is the dwelling place of God, built out of quickened stones and made into the temple of the living God. The church is an institution, it's an organism that's holy before God. Do not even listen to those who speak against a brother or sister in Christ Lovingly rebuke them. Tell them to go to the person that, you, they, that they have an issue with and do so in private and deal with it biblically. Each of us have a responsibility in the church to rebuke, to lovingly rebuke those who harm the body. For the church is the temple of the living God. So important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, The Apostle Paul speaks of his apostolic authority as being for the edification of believers, not for destroying them. Even with his authority as an apostle in Christ, he did not have the right to destroy, but to edify. And edification involves various things. It's not just saying kind words. Sometimes it's speaking truth and love, truth that may hurt, but it's for the motivation of helping, encouraging, edifying, admonishing our brothers or sisters. So collectively, we are the temple of God. May everything we do be to edify one another and never that we would defile even one member, one stone in the temple of God. We are the temple of the living God. He says again in 1 Corinthians, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy. It's the same word as defile. If anyone defiles the temple, God will defile him. Anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. Why? He tells us, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You, plural, are. As we come to verses 27 through 30, we am going to touch on this this week, and we'll come back to it next week. We see these verses, the dedication of the wall, which occurred in about 444 B.C., Some 93 years after Zerubbabel returned and 72 years after the temple was completed. Nehemiah had returned with many Jews earlier this same year, 444 BC, and with many adversaries and many difficulties, by God's strength, they had rebuilt the wall. The reconstruction was an overwhelming task. It was so overwhelming that the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, we looked at this a number of weeks ago, that the enemies of Judah perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of their God. They knew it was humanly impossible. Yes, they worked hard. They persevered. But God was with them. God strengthened their hand to do the work. And it was so impressive what God did there through his people that even the enemies of God saw this had to be accomplished with the help of their God. So in Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 30, we come to the dedication of the wall. So look in Nehemiah 12 once again with me. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites. From all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the song, excuse me, so the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netopathites from. Beth Gilgal, Beth Gilgal, and from their fields to Geba and Azazoth, from the singers, for the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priest and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the walls. So we'll just touch on this one thing this morning. Here, the Jews dedicate the walls. This is significant because this was God's city. It was where the name of Yahweh was known. The surrounding nations knew who Israel worshipped. It was where God's law was kept. They were to live a standard of holiness. It was where Yahweh himself was worshipped. In 1 Chronicles 24, David had organized the priest into 24 divisions, making two divisions of priests for each month. This meant that each division of priest was on duty for only two weeks each year. The remainder of the time, the priest had the responsibility of everyday life. Now, understand, each priest worshiped God throughout the year. Two weeks in temple service, the remainder of the year, providing for and caring for their families. Obeying Deuteronomy chapter 6, each loving God, or they were to love God with all their heart, soul, and might. Teaching their sons the Torah, teaching them to obey the Torah and living lives of worship to God. Finally, notice we just read, they celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. What we see here is similar to what we read in Ezra 6 where the Jews dedicated the temple of God with joy. They celebrated the completion, a time of dedication. They dedicated the walls and celebrated the completion of the walls with hymns and songs. But think about this. I don't think the music at this dedication service likely compared to the music they left behind in Persia. Persia was an amazing, civilized place. They're returning to a place with limited resources, limited musical instruments. But they returned, returned. They did what God called them to do, and here they celebrate in song, they worship God. But it probably wasn't like the music they left behind in Persia. So while the music might have been not been so impressive by worldly standards of that day, it was the worship of Yahweh, the one that created the heavens and the earth. Remember, I think it was chapter 10 where we went through, and they rehearsed the history of Israel in prayer. It was the worship of Yahweh, the one that was the creator of all things, the one that called them out of the world through their father Abraham, that one, the one that delivered them by a mighty hand out of Egypt, the one that had been faithful when they were unfaithful over and over, Remember? They rebelled against God. And in one form or another, God showed them mercy. Their worship was of the one that brought them back to Judah out of Persia. Three different returns. And God was instrumental. God was the cause. He was the sovereign one over all of those returns the one that had strengthened the people to rebuild the temple. And now he had, re, he had strengthened them to rebuild the walls. This was a time of worship. It didn't matter. Even if the music wasn't like the music of Persia, it didn't matter because it came from their hearts. They were worshiping God. They were worshiping the one that had been faithful even though over and over and over again they had not been faithful. And they knew it. They had repented and admitted their problem. And yes, we know by keeping of the law, no man will ever be justified in his sight. But many of these people were truly the elect who believed God. They believed God's promises about the future, what God would do. What he had promised in the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. What the law, even the Mosaic covenant, the one that that covenant pointed to, Christ, the one that fulfilled the law, they were looking ahead to the Messiah, the Mashiach. And therefore, they were faithful to God to do what God had called them to do. And now they came together and rejoiced. They came together and celebrated and they dedicated the wall to God. God was the one that they were serving. God was the one that they were worshiping. They were worshiping Yahweh, the eternal, self-existing never changing God, the one that had been faithful. May we worship him and may we remember today as we think about the temple that the church is the temple of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, God, that we can call upon your name. Lord, the God the one that spoke and everything was, everything is the one that has been faithful to us. Lord, you have called us out of the world as your people. You have placed us into the temple of the living God. We are living stones and you dwell amongst your people. God, may we honor that temple made up of believers, believer-priest. God, you've chosen to work through us. You've chosen that your name would be glorified through us. God, may we not lose hope in a difficult time, May we not forget what you have called us to and that we serve you and that you dwell amongst us. Lord, no matter what goes on around the temple, no matter how much the world might fall apart, you live in the midst of your people. And this morning, for that, we give you praise for you are Yahweh. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me encourage you to pray for one another. Check on one another. Even check on people in your community that might be going through a difficult time or people that might be sick. If, if it continues to spread and people get sick, we need to do all we can to help one another within the body of Christ, but even as an outreach. This is an opportunity for us to demonstrate the love of Christ to one another and to the world around us. It's a great opportunity. God has called you and I for such a time as this. Hope you guys have a blessed day and hope to see you again soon. God bless you.